0: Hi everyone, welcome back to a third season of Bird. I'm Magdalena Bielopolsky and I'm your host. Today we're kicking things off with a conversation with Sarah Stratton. Sarah is a coach and educator. Uh, working to teach tools for effective communication and enhanced relationships. This is all based in social science and brain research. She has a master's in positive psychology and coaching psychology, and she works closely with families and schools and sporting organizations to create better environments for children and young people. She's also a professional beach volleyballer, having attended the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney. So we talk a lot about her journey as a professional athlete, what that meant to her, um, what role fear played in the evolution of her career as an athlete, and how that ultimately led her to where she is today. Uh, The reason I reached out to Sarah was, firstly, I met her doing the Masters in Positive Psychology and Coaching Psychology. So we hit it off as fellow Australians from different parts of the world and found ourselves back in L.A. uh, at the same time. So I I reached out to Sarah to, to be a bird. But the thing that was really interesting to me was her career as a professional athlete. I grew up playing basketball. Uh, Most of my youth, I still play it socially these days. But there were some moments when I was younger that I could see a path of being a professional basketball player or, you know, a lot more competitive than I was. I played at a state level for a couple of years. But the thing that I struggled with was that mental commitment to the sport the the kind of what it takes to to be the best and I think a part of that was I didn't really have a competitive streak and I still don't and I think that I couldn't sort of muster the energy and 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 that commitment to really take it all the way but it's something I've always been fascinated by and I love seeing people compete at you know their peak in these sports and it was really cool to get into the details with Sarah and and see her journey and what drove her to to really be the best so it's a really interesting conversation the other things that she talks about was you know recently being diagnosed with ADHD and what that um, meant for her that diagnosis and having lived with it for decades and not knowing what it was so that was really interesting to get into and then lastly you know the work that she's doing today where she works closely with parents and um, parents of athletes but also new parents and, and and what does it mean to to build a relationship with your children and how to understand them how to coach them and mentor them in the li- in life and, and sort of set them on the path ahead so with that let's get straight into the conversation with sarah stratton What's got your attention these days? (laughs) So,
1: you're asking someone with ADHD, what has my attention? Which is a lot. Everything. I mean, it's like every little shiny object. There are so many things that I'm excited about. So, I don't think I could pick one. Is that okay to have that answer? Of course,
0: it is. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that experience?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, I think. I'm finally understanding my brain and knowing that like my brain needs different kind of support, just knowing, okay, I need to like have lists. I need to structure my time. I need to have accountability people. Like I have a friend from, um, from grad school who I still work with. Like we get together probably a couple of times a week and work together, but I need stuff like that. Otherwise I find things don't get done. And for me, honestly, it was kind of understanding that I'm not the only one who had so much potential, you know, had so much potential and then felt like I never really achieved it. And it's funny because, like, everyone's like, oh, you're so successful, you've done so much. And it's like, well, I still – it never felt like it was enough. Mm. And there was a lot of things that I got excited about for maybe even a few months and went so far down to almost finishing and then – didn't finish and so then i'll look back at this like string of like failed completions and you know i used to beat myself up about it and now i'm like oh okay i needed a different kind of support and so i'm a little more kind to myself when did you find that out so it was when i was doing my master's so anyway so i started going to therapy and during that time Uh, she suggested that maybe I get tested. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, it was, I don't know, it didn't even cross my mind. And she said a lot of women find out in grad school because you're doing, you sort of have to do things. Mm -hmm. Like there's something that maybe doesn't keep your interest for that long, Mm -hmm. but it's something that you have to focus on for longer and then you find yourself procrastinating. And also it brought up all my perfectionistic things, which, and now I'm realizing about that too, is there's a whole like, like correlation between ADHD and perfectionism. And it's not just the not finishing because it's not good enough, but it's also the not starting because you don't believe it'll be good enough. But I think, um, there was a mentor that I, I just used to go to her calls. She would run these calls once a week and. I would go on her calls, and I remember her saying to me one time, she said, this is a trial and error life, right? we're just giving it a go. And, you know, it doesn't really, like everything we do is trial and error. So, you know, we've never done it before and being able to be kind to myself rather than just, oh, it has to be perfect before I start. I love that trial and error life. Oh my gosh. Oh, but I've got a new one. Actually, I don't call it trial and error anymore. I call it action research because someone else was talking about action research and I'm like, oh, that's a good one too. So now I call it action research. Yeah. Take some of the pressure off. It does. Right. Because it's like these iterations. It's like, oh, this is just the first pass.
0: So a a couple of thoughts. Firstly, just for context, Mm. you said you found out you had ADHD in grad school, but grad school was for you later in life. It wasn't like.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, So I'm 52 now and I just finished my master's last year. No, I don't know. Anyway, it was exactly 30 years after I finished my undergrad. Wow. So I went back at 49 and did a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology, which is where I met you. Yes. And it really – it's funny because I did it, I think, because – I thought I needed more education and I didn't want to go... I didn't trust that I had enough, like, education. Both my parents were academics. You know, they have PhDs and my mum's a doctor with an extra doctorate on top of her medical degree. No pressure. No pressure. but instead of thinking, Oh, my business would be better if I learned how to market or that I'm actually fine with what I have with my parent educator training, I was like, Oh, I, maybe I should go and get a master's degree. Then I'll, then I'll feel like I'm qualified enough. Um, and, and honestly, I feel like when I ended up doing it, I decided this will be valuable, even if it's just for personal growth. And it was, I mean, I learned so much about myself about like I'd never even experienced coaching, like life coaching, until I was learning to be a coach and doing a master's in coaching. I was like, oh, where was this when I was 15, 20, 25, 30,
0: 35? was this the rest of my life? Right. I want to talk about what what that led to, the Masters, mm-hmm. but kind of loop back because, you know, you're talking about looking back and seeing kind of the succession of failed completions. Mm-hmm. But the thread that, as far as I understand, in your life has been beach volleyball. You're an mm-hmm. athlete mm-hmm. and a very successful one, even though maybe you don't think that. But <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to own it. I'm finally yeah. starting to own it, which is funny. So tell us a little bit about... You know how you got into beach volleyball where that led to and and the role that it plays in your life now
1: i played every sport as a kid because that was just fun and it was something to do and when i got to uni i heard the volleyball club was fun and i was like oh okay i'll try that and interestingly i was one of these fixed mindset people where everyone told me i was smart and it's like, you have so much potential, you should be top of the class. And what I realized right now, I'm reflecting on it. I couldn't win because if you do well, oh, well, of course, you do well, you're smart. Like there's no celebration. It's just like you meet expectations. Right. Basically, your options are you meet expectations or you fail to meet expectations, not you exceed. So it's so that's why I feel like sometimes the high expectations are just so debilitating. Mm-hmm so with academics it was always like you're really smart you should do really well and so I had that like uh, like fear I guess of fear of failure in that side because I didn't feel like I could succeed and then with volleyball I didn't really start properly playing till I was at uni and I was so excited about it I was like oh my gosh this is so much fun and I went to I mean, I found different clubs. I would go to two trainings in a night at two different clubs and do everything extra. Like I was 17 and I was going to these junior trainings with kids who were 13 and 14 because they were beginners too. I feel like interestingly, like I had more of a fixed mindset about academics Mm. because of, I think because of the way people treated it, of this, like you should be doing well. And with volleyball, because I was such a beginner and I saw this like super steep learning curve, I had that growth mindset. And interestingly, I ended up, you know, playing beach volleyball for a living, for and I, you know, played for seventeen years. But um, so then I, like after uni, you know, I played through uni. I ended up playing on the state team. I played on a club team. I played on the state team, um, and then right after uni finished, I went traveling. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, backpacked through Europe. So when I was in Austria, in Vienna, I had just kind of gotten to Europe after, you know, by myself, finished uni, said goodbye to everyone one-way ticket and I was like okay now what and I feel like I was kind of shepherded through school shepherded through uni it's like I wasn't really allowed to fail it was like this is what's expected of you Mm -hmm. my undergrad was a sports science degree basically um and but then I get to I get to Vienna and I was in a youth hostel and I found actually a journal recently where I had written No one is going to make you do anything. No one cares if you do anything. If you want to make something happen, if you want to enjoy this experience, or if you want to have an experience, you have to actually do it yourself. And that was this, like, huge revelation. Like, oh, my goodness. I actually have, now I know, like, I have some autonomy. Like, I'm in charge of my own life. And that was kind of that I took off from there. Um, You know, backpacked around Europe, just kind of you know, bumbled along, you slept on train station, um, concourses in France and, and, you know, hitchhiked in, you know, in uh, Spain went to the Olympics in 92, because I had friends who were competing. I had some swimmer friends who were competing. Another friend whose dad was the doctor for the hockey team. So I just went traveling on my own, went to the Olympics, and, kind of, and I hung out with the Olympians because uh, why not? Cool, cool, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was like oh, real people go to the Olympics. Anyway, after that, there was a beach volleyball tournament in in Spain, like further south. And I had I'll back up a little bit. When I was in Perth, I had been playing indoor volleyball, and then just naturally, everyone was starting to play on the beach, and so I had experienced playing on the beach, and that was my first. Like, oh, this is fun. This is interesting. I get to – I was a middle blocker in indoor volleyball, and if you know anything about it. I don't. No, okay. As a middle blocker, basically your job is to block and hit, and you do not, like, put your hands on the ball to set. You do not put your hands on the ball to, like, dig or pass. You are only, like, you're only a hitter and a blocker. Okay. And in beach volleyball – you get to do everything. There's only two of you on the court, so you get to do everything. And it was kind of exciting to I get to do that. And I played in some, you know, some local tournaments, some state level tournaments, and then went to some national um, tournaments, which was really fun. So then when I'm in Europe, I knew that friends who I had met from the national tour, they were gonna be competing in this big tournament, this world tour event in, um, in Almeria, in the south of Spain. And so I went down and I was like, oh, wow, people I know are competing in this world event. And then I met like all these people who were like super famous to me. Volleyball players were playing in it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. So then I, you know, that sort of put that in the back of my mind, end up uh, getting a job on a boat sailing across the Atlantic. Oh my gosh! As a, God. I got a job as a cook, which is hilarious. wow. <laughs> anyway, so I was the chef on this on this boat that was crossing. It was the America 500. It was the um, 500 years since Columbus did it. So it was the, um, you know, the Columbus Quincentennial. So we sailed from basically followed his route to the Bahamas from you know from the Canary Islands. So I did that. That was like my next sort of why not? I can do this. What's to stop me? And then I was hanging out in the uh, in the Virgin Islands for a while. And, you know, obviously I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, what a crazy life. Yeah. just I was just kind of going, going with the flow. And, and then I ended up um, I kind of missed volleyball because I really enjoyed it. I played, you know, because everywhere you go, if there's a beach, someone will have a net. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. This is fun. And so then I ended up flying to San Diego because – Friends of my mom's lived there. I stayed on their floor, on their couch basically for a, like a month or so, I think, and ended up like getting into a game down there. I was like, yeah, I could play. And, you know, they basically, the the guys around at this particular beach were like, let her play. You know? <laughs> and so then from there I made friends and I got a partner to play with and we ended up competing in like the local tournaments. And then yeah. I moved up to, up to LA and just like started building, you know, just started meeting people, playing in more tournaments. And it was like, it was an obsession. So you're saying this is like a full-time thing or are you working? Like No. So I moved up. I had really, I was, I may not have even been in San Diego that long, but when I moved up to LA, I had run into some old friends I'd met in Perth, beach volleyball players, from New Zealand, and they were looking for a place. And we found a place together in LA, in um, in Hermosa Beach, which, as I remember coming up to Hermosa and going along the beach and seeing all the beach volleyball courts. And I mean, like, oh my goodness, Heaven. my sport. Yeah, they know my sport. <laughs> yeah. People, instead of asking me, you know, because I'm super tall, people would always say, in, when I was in Australia, be like, oh, do you play basketball? And then here in LA, in the South Bay, they're like, do you play volleyball? And I was like, Oh my goodness. Super excited. So I got a job up here because of my undergrad was sports science. I got a job working in a gym and a guy who was kind of a legend in volleyball called John Stevenson. He basically took me under my wing, under my wing, under his (laughs) wing. He took me under his wing and he said, I'm going to train you. And he would take me down and like, train with me and teach me things and help me develop, you know, rather than just have me, you know, have low level games with friends. He was like, this is what it looks like. Next level. This is next level. And I remember him saying to me, he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I want to go to the Olympics. And he was like, because having been there, and I knew that the Olymp- you know that it was going to be like any
0: schmuck can go to the Olympics.
1: <laughs> well, I was like, well, I knew that this volleyball was going to be an Olympic sport because this was '92, and then '93. But um, I knew that it was going to be an Olympic sport ad- in in what's that atlanta right 96 and i was like well i'm gonna to go to the olympics He said well he's like don't you want to be like best in the world and i was like okay i want to be best in the world All right, <laughs> but he and i said i think i said i wanted to be a pro because at the time you know there is a professional league going on, and there still is and he said if you make a dollar from beach volleyball you'll make ten thousand, or maybe he's even said 100 000. and i was like really and I was like, this is actually legitimate. So he, so I developed, I guess, with him, picked up better partners, ended up playing on the the women's tour in 95. Then my partner – you're getting the long story. Of
0: yeah, that. no, I'm into this. Yeah. Feel free to cut it as much as you want. But I'm intrigued as to, like, the – yeah, what it takes. Like it's not an overnight thing. This, these things take time and oh, and sometimes they happen by accident. Like I feel like this is one of those journeys of like, ooh, where oh, can this go?
1: Yeah. And it was not, it was sort of taking opportunities as they come up. And I feel like that's been my life. It hasn't been me necessarily deciding, oh, I'm good at this. It's been someone saying, Hey, you could do this and me going, Oh, okay. I'll do that. <laughs> I love that. Um, so then uh, I went back to Australia in between, I think it was the end of that year, just, you know, to hang out and to play on the tour. And the girl I played with was also from Perth. She ended up coming back to the States. We played together and this by this time it's 95. We're like, let's see if we can do it. So we went to the first tournament in Fort Lauderdale, like, we took ourselves over there. She was sleeping on our couch at the time. Um, we took ourselves over there, and we lost in the qualifier. And then after that, the next tournament we qualified, and then we kept qualifying and we kept actually doing pretty well. So this is the qualifying for Atlanta, right? So in Atlanta, what they the way they did the qualifying it was your they took your one best tournament from '94 plus all your tournaments from '95 and then at the end of that they were like okay the best however many teams from each country go to the olympics so we didn't play in 94 so we are starting like so far back because we didn't have you know i can't i can't remember the point system or whatever but i remember us starting way far back and just every tournament once we started qualifying every tournament we're doing better we're coming closer we're coming closer we got to like the right before the last tournament which was in Brazil and at the time they had these qualifiers that were these like like jungle jungle qualifier meaning that everyone could play in it so you could have 15 teams from Brazil and you know seven teams you know 15 teams from the US whatever and at the time Brazil and the US were by far the best countries in the world and so, you know, you could play the you know the 16th team in Brazil and they were fantastic. So we went and, and now they don't do it that way. Now they do pre-qualifiers and only a certain number of teams from each country can actually play in the qualifier. So you can't get knocked out by your own country people. Okay. <laughs> Although now they do single them, so maybe you can. But they're, they're basically making it. If you make it into the qualifier, you potentially could get in rather than being knocked out by someone random. And at the end, they had this thing where uh, <laughs> there are only a certain number of teams that could make it into the main draw from each country. But you played all the way through the qualifier. And say if you had eight teams from Brazil that qualified, they're like, okay, well, you guys now have to play off for the last two spots. And everyone else is like lucky losers. And they get to play off to see who fills those spots, which is very confusing. And But anyway, so this last tournament, we were about, I want to say we were like, My numbers might be wrong, but it was like we're like four or ten or twenty or something really small points behind the team that was that ended up going to Atlanta and we didn't qualify. We lost to two Brazilian teams and didn't qualify. And it was just like that. We were it was done. You thought it was over? Well, it was over. Like we didn't qualify for Atlanta. Right. And interestingly, I remember when we were we were in the top 10 in the world like my partner and i we were ranked above this other team that ended up going but we didn't go because of the way the qualifying system was but i remember you only had two teams per country so there were a lot of teams that were ranked below us that went to the olympics right and that was really hard for me because i was like how can those guys who are ranked so far below us, how come they're Olympians and we're like higher ranked on the world stage, but we're not?
0: We're not there. Was that something for you? Just the fact of like you're not an Olympian and somebody else is?
1: I think it took the shine off the label. Oh, uh, interesting. Because it was like Olympians aren't necessarily the best in the world; they're the best in their country. In the yeah. world, like you know what I mean. It's yeah. like it's like it's not the best teams in the world; it's the best teams from each country that qualify. Right. <laughs> you know, I think that's what took the shine off for me, and it made it so that being an Olympian wasn't necessarily as like the greatest thing.
0: So was that? Do you think that's why John was like be a pro rather than focusing on the Olympics? I think so.
1: And it was almost like, yeah, you can like anyone can get to the Olympics, which. Now I know that that's actually not true. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but that's how I felt at the time. And I was, and maybe it was my way of feeling better about myself yeah. for not making it. it. was like, oh, well, it's the system.
0: Right. Right. You know, your journey with volleyball had been so happenstance. It sort of you were falling. And now it felt like you had committed to it. And so it took on a different meaning to have not made it.
1: Yeah, because we had invested a lot and we, because we had funded ourselves, we had paid for ourselves to go to all these tournaments and we had done well enough. We had, you know, paid ourselves back. We'd actually made a little money and I did make over $10,000, you know? Um, But yeah, I think it was this commitment and it's so interesting. And I, I look back now And I realized that I had a real aversion to goals, to even setting goals, because it was that not wanting to not meet them, like what that meant. And so I was so afraid of not meeting expectations that I'm like, I'm not even going to set a goal because then what if I don't make it? What does that say about me? So it's more about my identity rather than you know striving for greatness or any of that stuff it's yeah it's interesting because i'm looking back now and like reflecting i'm like oh my god i was all about comparisons i was all about trying to be better than people trying to be the best
0: well when you're doing a competitive sport <laughs> it's hard not
1: there, to yeah there is the ranking there is the comparison like you are going to get that but yeah it was it's interesting because then like for the next four years i ended up like i played with a couple of different partners i got um Dropped from the team where they were like, look, they were doing these training camps in Australia. When I, you know, and I would go and be a part of these training camps, and they basically the Australian Volleyball Federation decided who was going to play together, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to fund you to come. And I was still living in I was still living in the U.S. right, so everyone else is in Australia. They're going there, and I had to sort of have that kind of come to Jesus moment. Like, are you in or are you out? And I decided that I wanted to go for it. And so I said to them, if I get myself there, if I pay for myself to come to the training camp, can I come? Can I still be part of the program? And they're like, yeah, all right. I think they were like, there was no downside to that for them. Right. So I got to go and I kind of proved myself and did pretty well. Um, But... (laughs) I think honestly along the way, I think kind of fear got in the way and I would see, you know, teams coming up. And I never, over that next four years, I don't think I ever played as well as I had in 95. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We ended up making the Olympics as the third Australian team because they allowed a third because they were a host country. So we made the 2000 Olympics. But... And this is where I was always giving myself an asterisk because we had um, there had been a couple of other teams who were, there was one team in particular who was starting to come up, this young team, and they were starting to come up and they were playing well and they were doing well. Like we were barely, like we were still in the main draw, but we weren't doing very well. Like we were coming 17th. We maybe got a couple of nights, but mostly it was like 17th. And they came in and they took 4th and it was like wow okay these are the these are the up and comers these guys are going to actually get there they you know if they keep going and i think that fear sort of i it was all part of my journey of like not feeling good enough yeah. not believing in myself and then one of them got injured so it was almost like we got in by default because there then wasn't right anyone else and you know we it's so interesting cuz now i look back and i'm like Actually, we still played well, you know, in the world tour events in the best, you know, against the best in the world, you know, we upset like the number two in the world in a tournament. We, you know, we did well, it wasn't like we didn't deserve to be there. And then even in the Olympics, you know, we played. we were the 23rd seed, no 22nd seed out of 24. So just, you know barely in we played against the third seed which happened to be the americans um jenny johnson jordan and annette davis anyway they were the third seed in the whole tournament and we we lost but barely like it was we ended up like 13 all in a game for 15 and we lost 15 13 one of those things like we fought and we played like probably the best i'd ever played and i remember like Reading in the paper just and people who messages like people talking about how much heart we had and how much grit and how proud they were like Australians like they were so delighted yeah, even though we were this like low- ranked team that almost shouldn't have been there, but we played really well and so that was exciting I had all like you know friends and family I had friends from the US came over friends mm-hmm. <laughs> <I> had... <laughs> i have a friend who rode his bike when he found out i was going to be in the olympics my friend from uni he wore a bilby suit <laughs> so bilby is like a marsupial, right like a native a native australian animal and he it was like a furry giant furry suit with a giant furry head and he cycled across the country from perth to sydney oh my gosh and we met him, like I remember going out to meet him on the Sydney Harbor Bridge, like when he got there. But like people wait, how long, long did that take? take? <laughs> <laughs> uh, weeks, weeks. But I mean wow. People really like embraced us. Yeah, it meant something to them. It really did. And I I don't know if I really appreciated it. I was too busy like being disappointed and frustrated and and putting an asterisk on my my whole experience. Yeah. And then it was over. And I was like, oh, okay, well, oh, we're done. Right. But I do remember um you know who Dawn Fraser is, Mm -hmm. who is she's like a legend swimmer and Australian icon. And I remember her saying to me, like, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. And it doesn't matter like, I probably am getting a little emotional, but it's just like doesn't matter what you finished. Mm. Like you represented your country, you represented well, and you're like you should be really proud of where you are. And so that was that was really huge to have that of someone sort of validating, say so you actually did put in a lot of work to get here. Yeah. So.
0: I mean that that's kind of what I was thinking while you are t- talking about this is what it takes to be a professional athlete. Like that yeah. commitment, mm-hmm. not just the sort of physical training, but then the, the competitions, they get the going all around the world, like mm-hmm. paying for it yourself, like everything else that comes with it. So few people have that desire, energy, even like capacity to be able to pull that off.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't think I appreciated that. I was just... Mm-hmm so determined and not necessarily for the right reasons (laughs) like because it was more like i don't want to fail at this thing as well right you know it's like oh and i felt like honestly that last few tournaments before the olympics was like You know, we never, we just stopped doing well. Like we barely, you know, we got, we ended up getting seated pretty low and, you know, we would beat the one team that we should beat, but then we would lose to a couple of high ranked teams. And it was almost like we limped in. Yeah, I think it was just like, oh, we got here. Right. And not like, oh, that actually was a lot of work. You know, I did, I mean, I was gone from my husband like weeks and weeks on end you know, so we got married in 95 and Greg always laughs and says like that first, I don't know, five years. He said, Oh, we are, the secret to happy marriage is You see each other like two weeks out of the five years. But, um, but we, you know, we stayed con- connected obviously. And it was, he was super, super supportive. And he said, you absolutely should do this. Mm. You know, let's, let's spend the money on getting you there. Let's you dedicate. And I mean, I was still a trainer. I was still working, but it was like making choices every day. You know, is this taking me towards the Olympics or away from the Olympics? You know, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And I think having that kind of sense of purpose, even if it was because I didn't want to fail, it was still like, it gave me a way to make decisions, you yeah. know, it gave me something to get out, get out of bed for, I guess.
0: Definitely. Uh, I'm interested in wondering, like reflecting back now, you know, years later, I, and I'm also thinking about my own life, which is not, not at this level at all, but something that I miss and... I think it's it's quite natural is when you're young when you're a teenager mm. and you start getting that autonomy uh there's so much curiosity and you know when you go traveling i also went traveling in my gap year and just you know seeing the world and people and and understanding or seeing that there are different paths you can take and oh do i take this one do i take that one i'll try this I'll try that and then you know after you didn't get into the Atlanta Olympics and now it was looking ahead to the Sydney Olympics, do you think, you know, you're older now and I feel like, you know, when I got older, you learn more, you become more skeptical, you become more in your head, you lose some of that curiosity. And I'm wondering if that team, that, that young and upcoming team, was still in that sort of curious yeah. phase mm-hmm. and you were like too much in your head now. Because you had the skills, you had the knowledge, like that's like... Second nature. It was almost like, and this this has sort of happened afterwards as well. But it was almost like I had something to protect.
1: Like all of a sudden, okay, we're a team that we're in the top ten in the world. Now, I went from having the growth mindset around it of like, oh, I'm getting better and better and better, to like, oh, now I'm, you know, almost made the Olympics. We're in the top ten in the world. You're a good team. Like this has now becomes part of your identity. So you have to protect that, and then. You know it meant that every time you played against a team it was risky because you're risking yeah. your identity of being a good player because what does that mean if you lose to a team who's ranked lower than you right and interestingly after um after 2000 you know i'm back here in the states and i end up i think because i had demonstrated that i was decent, which now I, you know, it's funny, I didn't realize that I was actually pretty
0: good. Out <laughs> um, the Olympics, whatever. No, no,
1: but it wasn't. And, and this is where I think I realized too, like, it's not the title. It's not the Olympics. Like I actually played my best volleyball after the Olympics. I, the, I got picked up by Linda Hanley, who is this lovely, hilarious woman who played for the US. She got, um, they got fourth in Atlanta. And she asked me to play with her and I was like, oh my God, she wants me to play with her. She believes in me, you know? Yeah, that's huge. It was huge and it was super fun and she's just a delight and still like someone I feel like I could go to and just spend hours chatting with and laughing with. But she she and I, we just played well and we were, you know, we did well and we ended up winning a tournament, which... You know, not that many people here have, not that many volleyball players have actually won a tournament. But interestingly, it was then that I had something to protect again. Right, right, I got there. Okay, you proved that you're a top player. You proved it, you won a tournament. So therefore, you've hit the, you've hit the pinnacle. And instead of, I didn't have that uh, mastery mindset of like, I've got to keep going because I'm always getting better which now ever growing, you know, it's the name of my business ever growing, but I didn't have that. I was, I was like, okay, I proved it.
0: Thank goodness.
1: And then it was almost, I don't think I played as well after that.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say that as well, like that it it, it must've felt like a relief that the olympics were now behind you you didn't have that thing to like hold on to cuz that was done which is why you could let go and now you've got this person that's like playing with you and it's like it's bringing some of that fun back yeah. and then as soon as there's this something that's like defining it yeah it's yeah that's it's, it's like all in the mind it's all in the mind and i don't think i ever got
1: To that level again, I do think I probably got to become a better player, but I think mentally I was never as strong. I mean, sorry. I think that that messed with me and I was always trying to prove something. And so I wasn't coming from that. That joyous, playful. Yes. Let's see how this goes. Totally. Risky, which is what, which is what Chris and I were back in ninety five. Is like we we're like, yes. no one, no one has any expectations from us. We are just coming out there. We're paying our own way. We don't. We're not, you know, accountable to anyone. And let's see what happens. Yeah. You know, No you know, we're ranked so low. What, what's the worst that could happen? We have a vacation in China.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I get that. So you know. I'm, I've been in my career, I don't know, 15 something years, but I have a similar thing of like, well, where do you go from here? Like, do you start from scratch? And like, cause when I think about, you know, what brings me joy, where, what would I take a risk on? And then you start thinking, well, what happens to the money? You know, yeah. and, and if that goes oh, like the money and, but then there's also this fear in a a similar way to, to being an athlete, I guess, is like, you know, I am kind of at the top Mm -hmm. of my profession, not the top, but I'm getting there. I'm an expert and, how do I maintain that? And when, when technology is changing, the, the youth are coming up who is like, you know, who have like grown up with digital. Natives. Uh, exactly. And there is that fear and, the, and this fear of like, do I keep going or do I do something else?
1: And starting again, like exactly. at, at any point is, yeah, I mean, that's that age old question is yeah. like, and what, and defining success, like what does success mean? Right. Exactly. And that's, I mean, the thing that, was the big change for me was I was I had some I had some decent success like the next couple of years you know just making like never made any top fours again but made like top five um but then it was gradually like sort of getting worse a little bit but I there was a partner I played with that we we didn't play together for very long we trained together in the off season this woman introduced me to a sports psychologist that she had worked with and we went as a team it was it just it changed my life honestly so he this is um Mike Gervais who he hosts Finding Mastery podcast which is one of my favorite podcasts meeting him I've even said to this woman like Angela I've like I'm so grateful for the fact that we had that time together because if I hadn't met him my life would be so different wow and so he helped me see that, like, you know, I, I didn't realize how attached I was to being a top player until I wasn't anymore, until I wasn't even making it to Sunday, I wasn't making it to the finals, I wasn't making it to the semifinals. And, but he helped me to see that there was more to me and that I was, you know, funny and lovable and a great friend and a great, you know, wife and parent and all of those things. And, I mean, obviously there was a lot of stuff that I didn't deal with about my childhood then but it was like the first time I realized that there was something else and he gave me empathy and I was like oh interestingly I had just started my kids had just started this alternative school and I had taken this um, parenting class and they were talking about empathy and teaching us about empathy and so I knew what empathy was and so Mike's giving me empathy and I'm like I know what he's doing I recognize this but like it felt so good. I was like, he really cares. Like, he sees me. Right. It was like the first time someone had seen me and was like, oh, my gosh. Because I was like, I I remember saying to him, I feel like I'm letting other people down when I don't do well. And he was like, oh, that sounds like such a burden. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like it really is. Yeah. And so he got me. And so that, I mean, honestly, I feel like that stuff with him changed me. That experience changed the way i looked at volleyball and it became more fun for me and even when i was you know i mean i finished the olympics i turned 30 at the welcome home parades for the olympics so they had a parade on my 30th birthday um but like so i mean obviously i was getting older and i was you know i was not able to pick up like as of partners and i also was a little too clingy to that idea of being you know being a top player and a little too like oh it must be the partner and i'm going to try this partner and i'm going to try that partner which not a good idea mm. um and by the end by 2010 i was playing with the girl who i loved but we were playing in like some amateur tournaments and playing in qualifiers and, and qualifying mostly but it was actually fun it was fun but then i um i had a knee injury like i ended up with a meniscus tear right in the middle of the season and honestly it couldn't the timing could not have been better you know it was the year it was was it 2010 i think it was the year 1040 and i needed to be like booted out it's like stop right because i think it was like you were talking about it was all I knew. Like, all I know is how to be a volleyball player and now a parent. So I was doing, like, had my kids and I was playing volleyball and I didn't want to start. I mean, with professional sports, like, I wasn't going to be a top player forever. And I, st- I wasn't. I was, like, going down, 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 and I was, like, clinging to it. it. was like, I didn't know what to do next. So that probably came at the perfect time. But then I ended up... Um, right after that there was a parent educator training so the parenting class that i had taken they were doing a training to learn to be a parent educator and this whole parenting style was very different for me like i hadn't experienced this but it was all about oh understanding your children and seeing why they were acting out rather than just you know punishing them or criticizing them or whatever for the, what they were doing. So basically recognizing that there is a reason behind it. And if we look at the reason we can then come alongside them and help them solve the problem rather than just like, you know, reward or punish them out of it. Like that external rewards, um, external motivation. And, but I, what I decided was I want to take this training because the people who are coming to parenting classes, are people who are already thinking differently about how they want to parent. They're already looking at it. So you're sort yeah. of... There's really some awareness there. Yeah. And so you're like, you're preaching to the choir. You're preaching to the people who want to be talked to like that. But I saw that the people who needed it, they weren't to Parenting classes, but they were putting their kids in sport. Interesting. And I was like, hmm, how can we get them? How can we reach them? And so I decided... Recognizing that um it only takes one like caring adult to change the trajectory of a child's life, I was like, that could be a coach. So why don't we like why don't I take this training so that I can work with coaches? But then also I could work with parents and say, here's how to help your child be a better athlete. Better teammate, like more, all the things that you need to be a good athlete, like emotionally regulated, you need self awareness, you need focus, you need autonomy, you need to be able to make decisions, mm-hmm. be able to resolve conflict, all of those things. To get a child to be able to do that, you have to model that, you have to support that. So basically, the back door is getting them to be a better parent. Right. But it might be for the wrong reasons. It might be because you're trying to get your child to be a better athlete. Or well, just a better person in general. Right. But you're but, the, but these people who are, have their kids in sports who are not really thinking, oh, I want my kid to be a better person. They're like, I want my kid to be successful, totally. right? So so that was my reasoning behind doing the parent-educated thing. That's training. really smart. But what happened was it was like this nine-month program and in the, at the end they had a pra- like a practicum where you like learned how to actually teach it. And they asked me if I would teach for them, like teach the parenting class, not sports or anything. And I was like, whoa, whoa. again, it's like someone else believing in me because honestly, I think if they hadn't asked me to do it, I would have never thought I was ready. Right. And so I think it's kind of like having a baby. You're always ready and you're never ready. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it happens. You're like, okay, deal. Yeah. And so I taught the class. And I remember in one of the first, I think it was the first class I taught, one of the moms sent me an email. And it said, she's like, I'm sure you know this, but you're changing the world one family at a time. And I was like, oh, my goodness. This is what I want to do. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, this is great. This is what I want to do. And so then I was teaching the parenting class for them. And then, you know, and then fast forward to grad school, and I wasn't teaching for them anymore. I was trying to do it on my own. But also raising children and not having a lot of time. And then also, like, not knowing how to, like, run a business, right. how to market, how to do any of that stuff. And then realizing, oh, I really need to go to grad school. I really need to get more educated.
0: Right. So there you go. We've got the
1: long yes. answer to that.
0: Yes. Well done. You just did that on your own. I didn't even have to <laughs> prompt you. Okay. You know i think we can start wrapping up but this is a wonderful journey mm-hmm. and it's really amazing to watch well see kind of that through line mm-hmm. of what you're doing now where it began yeah um and also just that that work you've done around reflecting and self-awareness you know as somebody who's a little bit younger than you not that much younger but I'm always worrying about when am I going to just start being here mm-hmm. and enjoying it and yeah. stop worrying and just like yes I like again in a different way I am successful mm-hmm. and people say hey you've done all these things you moved all around the world you have a really good job you work at an amazing company oh well who yeah what does that mean you yeah, know until you start yeah. really feeling it yourself and I wonder and maybe you're not there yet yourself, but what advice would you give me to, to say, what is that thing that just kind of was like, uh aha. Right. So now I'm sort of embracing the, you
1: know, my history and recognizing that actually, okay, I'm constantly growing and learning. And my research in grad school was about, it ended up being about perfectionism. It ended up being about like beating ourselves up when we think we should be doing better and so I think that has really changed my philosophy on life and just being in that place of like I'm, you're constantly growing and learning, you're constantly growing. And this woman, she said, this was one of my participants in my study, she said, I sat my son down and I said to him, I'm done punishing myself, I am going to make mistakes, I'm I'm growing and learning with you and we will get through this together. And she said, from that moment on, when I had that realization, she said, I felt free. And it was like, for me, when I was listening to her, when I was interviewing her, I was like, oh my God, I was like, I want that. I want to feel that. I want to feel free. I want to feel like I can be able to make mistakes and to not be attached to like successes and not be attached to outcomes, but to be in that action research trial and error iterations like life is a journey and so i think that's it it's about trusting that whatever happens you're gonna learn from it and it's like there's no such thing as failure but it's the reflecting and the looking okay what what might i do differently looking at it with curiosity instead of judgment you mm-hmm. know to quote ted lasso right? oh my gosh ted
0: lasso that's a whole episode in itself so i don't know
1: if that's advice but i think it's um trusting yourself and knowing that you have it inside of you and that it doesn't like, there's no wrong decisions because it's all going to, it's all just this trial and error life.
0: Yeah. I love that. No, you're right. And uh, I think that's just a, you need to be reminded of that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, to just, uh, just to wrap up one last question, I feel like you've already answered this in your story, but through, your the work that you do now or maybe through being a professional athlete let's pick one and just say your journey as a professional athlete what did that teach you about people not just yourself but like people as in the world around you in the work that i do like i work with well i work with new
1: moms in my baby groups which i love but i also work in, with sports with parents and coaches and athletes and i I learned that everyone's kind of doing the best they can and that we do better when people believe in us and support us and when they give us permission to... To try and to make mistakes I mean I see it on the volleyball court now like when I see coaches that are just you know a kid makes one mistake and they yank them off the court it's like oh goodness but I but I want us to know that it's like that you know we do get to keep going and keep trying and so I think I learned that we are adaptable you know it's not that we're resilient necessarily but we're adaptable and we all adapt to the conditions and even like you know having that masters, like doing all that research in positive psychology is knowing that we can actually control where our attention goes and the mood we're in. And, you know, we can reflect and look back at our past and choose how to move forward, like using that knowledge, move forward rather than, rather than getting stuck in it and just using it as an excuse for why we're, why we are where we are. There are a lot of reasons that people are stuck there and like i know that i have a lot of privilege and people i think people do the best they can where they are and everyone needs a different amount of support and every like honestly everyone can be super successful however you want to define successful but it's how people how people treat them how they what type of support they get Mm -hmm. and we're like we come into this world with a certain amount of Like, like whether it's support from my parents, whether it's material, you know, support, but I think everyone has incredible potential, but that we have to, you know, trust that they're doing the best they can. And we, and if they're not doing well, it's because something's getting in the way and we can help them rather than trying to criticize or shame them or somehow trying to get them out of it
0: by saying, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that wasn't very succinct. But. No, I think that's great. And I think that's a really great note to end on as a reminder of, yeah, everyone is just trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. And I really love what you said that if they're not, there's something that's getting in the way. Yeah. And I think that's just just something that we should all be mindful of. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thanks, Sarah. Thank you. That was that's wonderful. Good. Yeah.